Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nightlight. I'm really excited about tonight because I have one of my favorite people here to share the time with me. Mark Snyder is my guest tonight, and he is uh, the host of Ohio Exopolitics, also on Blog Talk and Freedom Slips Radio. And he's a very talented and gifted man. On top of being host of Ohio Exopolitics, he's a gifted show host and a very talented musician. And I believe, an expert, at least compared to me, on the Billy Meyer material. Uh, Billy Meyer is a fascinating man, and the material that he has shared with us is is really quite amazing. His life story is amazing. He's still alive today, I believe. Um, And he has um, put out some prophecies that, that I think are quite fascinating. But 
but before we get into discussing those, which which I really want to um, talk to Mark about, um, I, I think we need to give you kind of a little bit of a history of who Billy Meyer is. Um, so for that, I'm going to welcome Mark to the show. Hi, Mark. How's it going tonight? Hey, Barbara. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, we've got a heck of a storm here. I felt like the roof was going to fly off a bit ago, but it seems oh, to right? calm down. Oh, yeah, it's a good blowing storm out there. <clears throat> so um, you've been doing radio shows for a long time, and um, I became, you and I, be, you know, um, met each other uh, when I did some of your roundtables on, on um, UFOs and stuff like that. And uh, that's where I started to become a little more familiar with the Billy Meyer material. And over the years, and I think, I think I, I, you and I have been talking for probably on and off the last six or seven years. Oh, really? <laughs> Time flies. Yeah. I can't that, believe it. Well, I yeah, you. actually, that does make sense because I think in 2010 is when I started my radio program. That's true. Goodness sakes. And I met you through Patrick because you were UFO. And right. And then, then when Patrick passed away, um, a lot of people that I had been on shows with, with Patrick um, realized I actually had a brain. And so <laughs> I've been doing a lot of shows because of, of the intro from Patrick, for which I'm very grateful. Um, I had heard of Billy Meyer, and I had heard of his material, but I don't know anybody that has studied it in depth the way you have. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Billy's a very interesting man. He He's 78 years old now. He lives in a tiny mountain village in Switzerland called Hinterschmidruti. It's about 52 minutes east of Zurich by automobile. And in the summer months, it's just a tr- tremendously beautiful place, pine trees and, and plants, and it's just gorgeous. Billy is very unusual. He's written uh, 40 books, over 40 books, and over 600 uh, booklets. And the booklets are really uh, transcripts of his contacts with extraterrestrial humans, uh, which his first contacts go back to when he was five years old. But when I tell Billy's story, I like to go back even a little bit before that because uh, he first started writing his contacts down in 1975, which is relatively recent. But he had 22 years of contacts before he ever started documenting his contacts. Most people are aware of his contacts with a woman named Semyase, which started in 1975. But Billy's contacts go back to when he was five years old, and he was growing up in Bulak, Switzerland, and he was starting to get these telepathic messages. And one day he had a telepathic message to go out into the forest and and to play, and he, he went out into the forest and the voice told him to wait, and 
that he was something was going to happen. So he was. I think he was looking down in the stream at some fish, and then out of the sky came a silvery pear-shaped craft, which landed nearby, and this man stepped out of the craft. You know, the man was about 95 years old from our perspective here on the earth. He looked 95 years old. He was actually closer to 1,000 years old. His name was Soth, and he was an extraterrestrial human, and Billy had seen his face before in these, because not only was Billy getting telepathic messages, he was getting mental images. So he wasn't necessarily afraid of Soth, and Sloth asked him to come into the ship. And a young Billy went into the ship, and Sloth took the ship up some 70,000 meters into the sky, and into Earth orbit, actually. And Billy looked around in the ship, and he could see all sorts of screens. And on these screens, he saw people, because Sloth was um, studying various people, all in different places in the earth, and Soth started to speak to Billy, and he told him that his lifetime was very important, and that he would be a teacher, and he would be a prophet, and not only would his life, this life, be important, but he had done this job in previous lives, and Soth explained to Billy that he had been the prophets that we today call Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, and Muhammad. And in each one of these lifetimes, he taught this ancient universal teaching called the teaching of the Spirit. And what the teaching of the Spirit really centered around was about five or six major themes, the first of which is the universal consciousness, because these extraterrestrials, they don't use the word God, and we can probably go into that a little bit later. And it also talked about the human spirit, what that is. The teaching talks about reincarnation. It talks about learning to control your thoughts, taking personal responsibility, and has information in regards to how we ought to behave in terms of our relationship with nature and the planet and things like that. So Billy was very fascinated during this context. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Kind of no, I, I just, I, I've, I've done a little more research, and I have found that, that some of his philosophies are, are absolutely um, so in tune with, with at least the direction that, that, that I have been studying of late and one of the one of the and I put Billy's website up one of Billy's website up, but I think it's the main one. And um, in in some of the material that I was reading, which I found fascinating, um, one of the things was that considering that that you know taking just the last ten thousand years into consideration, there have only been two hundred and fifty years during that time which there were no acts of war going on. That's and, pretty amazing. <laughs> and it, it was. And, and it, it just, 
what he was saying about humanity and the earth and everything else, it, it to me was reminiscent of um when when um the angels came and they looked for, you know, a few good men in Sodom and Gomorrah and decided there weren't any and and destroyed it all. And the fact that we have so much going on today, um, it, it just sort of resonated to me that this is very similar. We're going through a period of time where you could say the earth was Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and if we don't turn our, our attention more towards the fact that, that we have created all of the problems that we have and we can fix them too. And uh, he, he seems to be really putting out material that is saying you know, you, you've created this, you can fix it, but, but you have to go back to the inner truth and the inner love of nature and taking care of the earth and taking care of each other and stop playing to the corporate gods. And I, I've read some of this material before, but but reading it again, it, it resonated even more. And and if people want to see where I got some of this material, it's it's on the um, prophecies and predictions page that that is in the material that that in the website that I put up. But Billy's story is just so phenomenal because he was is an ordinary person just like everybody else, and yet he was singled out to to um, to to sort of channel this material. And I, I don't, and, and by channel, I don't mean it the way when you talk about psychic channeling, but in a way I do. But he is the facilitator of bringing this kind of wisdom back into the consciousness of humanity. And he doesn't flaunt it. He doesn't, he's not, he's not getting rich by it. He's just putting warnings out there. And, and it's phenomenal because he does talk about you know, being able to travel in a spaceship, being able to do all sorts of amazing things. And basically, he's not been listened to. And, you know, it's sort of like the rest of us are on a, 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 a pathway to self-destruction almost. Oh, yeah, certainly. That's an interesting way to put it in so many different ways. And it's interesting that you brought up Sodom and Gomorrah because... Um, there's a very, very interesting story associated with Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm trying to decide whether we should jump to that now or continue on a, a kind of a logical, slow buildup of things. There's so much information here. It's like, where do you, where do you start? Well, <clears throat> well, let's. I mean, give them some of the fundamentals of Billy's background. I mean, uh, you know, oh, yes, he's he's been sure. he's been, you know, talk he's he's been talking to the extraterrestrials since he was 5. But but he just um he went to school and they didn't want him to really go to school because they wanted to be able to teach him themselves. So, he got in trouble for cutting school and not going. Yeah, he spent a lot of time where he missed school, and he got in um, a lot of trouble. His father punished him very severely. It, his his childhood was was very very interesting. Um, one of the things I love to go back to is uh, a, one of his writings. It's called "How It All Began," 
and this was before he had any extraterrestrial contacts or anything. He was about four years old, and it was 3 a.m., and it was a warm May evening, and he crawled out a lower window and uh, in his bedroom, and he sat down on a bench that his father had made, and he looked up at this beautiful starry sky and and the, and the night there in Switzerland, and he he had this epiphany. Now, I think he's only four years old, and he started... He, he he puts it like this, my lips said this, and he, here's some of the things that came out of a four-year-old boy. He said, since ancient times, I lived among the stars. He said, my life is made from the love of creation, and that the infinite love of creation connects all life, because in all life, that love lies hidden. And he talked about seeing the visible light of the stars, but that there was an invisible light, which he called the radiating love of creation. So, and he was filled with um, a knowing, and he was filled with good memories. And uh, it was just, one, it was amazing. It was one of these amazing writings. And I don't know when he wrote that, but it was many years after the fact. Yeah. I thought you'd find that interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, it sounds very much like material that you almost expect to hear from indigo children. Wow. I never thought of it that way. That's extremely interesting. They come through with um, spiritual knowledge and wisdom that, that, you know, shocks people. And and that it's, you know, he may well have been an indigo. Um, before his time, um, so 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 he got in trouble a lot, and he he ran away from home at some time. Yes, um, he, there there was some trouble in his early life, certainly, and I mean, can you imagine being five and six years old and seven years old? Well. Not only was he meeting with an extraterrestrial human being, but he was learning things that were so profound that are just hard to put into words. And when he was on the ship, one of the things that Svoth did is he put a device on his head to unlock the wisdom of his predecessor personalities. You know, I I had spoken earlier about him being Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, and Muhammad. And when he put that device on his head, Billy could, he was just flooded with information. He could see the future and all sorts of things. So, yeah, he was, that early life was probably very difficult in some ways for him, I would imagine. Well, yeah, I would imagine it's very hard to have all that information and still have to survive in a physical reality. Well, he had a friend that helped a lot, uh, Pastor Rudolph Zimmerman, who was the local um, pastor there in the in the church in Bullock. And Pastor Zimmerman had also had some telepathic contact. So when Billy came to him and, and explained to him that he was having these telepathic contacts, Pastor Zimmerman said, you know, that's fine. Those are good. You should pay attention to those. 
and that information is very important. So he supported Billy and was kind of a mentor uh, for him going through that very, very difficult time. But at what point did Billy feel that he had to share this information with the masses? I mean, it, it seems like it's a personal journey for a very, very long time, and then suddenly... Did they say to him, "You have to share this information"? Did was it was it their suggestion that he begin to um, put material out there for people to critique? Well, let me explain a little bit about his contacts with Askit, and I think that'll probably fill in some of those questions. Uh, have I ever talked to you about his contacts with Askit at all? No, Samyadi, but not, no, I don't think so. Okay, good, good, good. I find this very fascinating. I'm not sure if you will. I, I hope your audience does too. Uh, Svas was very old, and he was nearing the end of his life. And Svas oh, wait, told just, I, I have to interrupt. Just How do you spell that? Svas, S-F-A-T-H. Did it ever occur to you how close that comes to toss? <laughs> That's very interesting. Well, I mean, one of his contacts today is Pata or Ta, and there's an Egyptian god of that name. Toth. Toth? Yeah, that's the one that wrote the uh, Emerald Tablets. Oh, that's very interesting. That's very, very interesting. But, um, okay, back to the... So so Spoth said, uh, you're going to get another teacher. And he told him, he told Billy to go up on a certain hill in Switzerland. And Billy was 16 years old at this time. And it was kind of a cold, cold, windy kind of day. And what came down there and landed on that hill was a robotic craft, which was very interesting. And a hatch opened up. And Billy got into the ship and sat down. He could see one chair. There was no one else in there. And then the ship took off at a great speed. And Billy noticed that the ship was around him was becoming transparent and invisible. And he could see right through the floor. And he could see this, you know, the the scenery whisking by. And then pretty soon, he couldn't even see his own hand. And he realized that the ship was completely invisible, and he was completely invisible. And he was traveling at a tremendous speed through the sky. And he watched the scenery change, and then he realized before long he was in the Middle East. And the ship started to slow down, and it landed, and and Billy stepped out, and he noticed these red rocks and the sand, and he felt this heat, and he realized he was in Jordan. So he sat there and he waited for a while, and he he wasn't sure what was going to happen next, and it was kind of becoming evening. And then out of the sky came what looked like a falling star that got larger and larger, and he realized it was another ship. It was a massive ship. It was 300 meters in diameter, I believe. And then it landed, and it sat there, and nothing happened. Billy just had to wait for like a half an hour. And then out stepped this 
very striking, beautiful woman. And when Billy saw her, he knew that somehow he knew her, but he didn't know how and he didn't know where. And she came over and she introduced himself, herself. And she said, I want to take you to Egypt. There's something that you need to see at the Giza Plateau. And she introduced herself as Ascot. And Ascot is an extraterrestrial woman from a race of beings called the Timmers. They reside now in a parallel universe to ours called the Tao universe. Our universe and this parallel universe were created at the same time about 46 trillion years ago. And what's kind of interesting about all this is the Timmers are descendants of a group of extraterrestrials called the Lyrians, which the Playaran also are descendants of the Lyrians. So there's kind of a an interesting relationship here. And we'll get back to that later. But in any case... What's important for our discussion is that they were going to Egypt. So Billy gets in the ship with Ascot, and they head to Egypt. And she lands the ship somewhere in the vicinity of the Giza Plateau. And it, I think at this point it's cloaked. Billy gets out of the ship. Ascot gets out of the ship. She puts a device on Billy's belt and touches the device touches this button on the device and Billy becomes invisible to to the outside world but not to ask it and she touches a similar device on her own belt so they can see each other but no one else can see them and they're walking towards the the great pyramid at this time well there are some tents of some local villagers by there and Billy goes into the tent there where some women are getting dressed and he plays some little tricks. He kisses these women and and uh who are half dressed and then he, he kinda he kinda leaves it and gets out of there. And uh you know, Askit's just standing there watching this with a grin on her face. And they continue to walk and they get to the Great Pyramid and there's some kind of shaft they go down. And they go far, far below the Giza Plateau, and they're walking for the longest time. And Askit explains to him that they're going to this large hallway, this underground area that's called, um, it's where the Giza Intelligence lives. They call these people the Giza Intelligences. They have been on the earth since the fall of Atlantis and Lemuria. And they had been influencing the people of the earth and trying to kind of create, for lack of a better world, a, a lack of a better word, uh, a one-world government, a one-world religion. They've been trying to control the earth. So finally, they get to the end of this hallway and ask it, tells them, now we're going to go into uh, the, these places where these people are, and we're going to have to be absolutely silent because if we're caught here, it's going to be very bad for both of us. So she has it on her belt this other device that she presses, and then this large 
stone in front of them kind of dissolves away and then they walk through this stone and then it becomes a stone again once they're on the other side. And then they're in this very, very large hallway with this very, very high ceiling and it goes on forever, seems like. And the light seems to come from everywhere and nowhere. And Billy can see what looks like a very large extraterrestrial craft as well as smaller ships and there are guards nearby and then he sees something very interesting he sees a what looks like a crucifix on the on the floor there and he sees a crown of thorns and he sees what looks like a nail a blood encrusted nail and he's shocked by religious artifacts. And he looks at Ascot, and he can't say anything because they don't want to be discovered. So Ascot decides to take him out of there. And on the way back up, she explains who these people are. And they're called the Giza Intelligences. They're kind of a splinter group from the player and themselves. They can be traced all the way back to a man named Eris the Barbarian, who was one of the the leaders of a negative group that came here in the ancient past. He was really the king of wisdom who got the great war between Atlantis and Lemuria going. After the destruction of Atlantis and Lemuria, one of the descendants of Eris came back to the earth his name was Eris the Eleventh, and he kind of became this brutal dictator of a certain area of the entire Earth. And these rulers, they were extraterrestrials, and they presented themselves as gods, as sometimes they would call themselves the creator of the universe, and uh, they were very brutal and often the offspring would kill the parents. In the case of Eris the Eleventh, he had a son named Jehave, who after several centuries, their lifespans were very long, after several centuries, Jehave killed uh, Eris the Eleventh and took, took the power. And then Jehave, notice the names, Jehave had a son named Jehovan. After several centuries, he killed his father and took control. And I believe... The man's name was after Jehovan, Erisane took power and killed Jehovan. Now, Erisane was the guy that started the Giza intelligences. Because, I mean, the official, that's where they went underground, far, far below the Giza plateau. And that's where they started their machinations, where they started to use religion. And they, they had a particular technology called, um, it's like a telepathic hypnosis um, that takes away your ability for independent thinking. And uh, telenotic is the term they use. And they have been using it. They were using it on the people of the earth all the way up until the 1970s anyway. Erisane was pushed out of power by a man named Hen, and Hen took control, 
and here's where I get a little uh, not politically correct, but I'm going to say what the Meyer material says, and the people can decide whether they think it's real or not. Hen also had another name. He was known as Jehovah. And the Meyer material says he was the Jehovah of the Old Testament, and he was the one responsible for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, which you brought up, which is very interesting that you brought that up earlier. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed uh, by three different factors. There were atomic weapons that were used by Jehovah, and there was an earthquake, and there was a meteor at the same time. Jehovah was eventually killed by Kamigal the first. So, and that, now these guys had long lifespans in the beginning, five, six hundred, eight hundred years. Uh-huh. So we get, so we're getting back now to modern times. Right around 1939, 35 to 39, and I'm guessing it was probably Kamigal the second was in power at this point. The Giza intelligences contacted the Germans. They contacted first the Thule Society in Germany. And one of their main contacts was a guy named Hermann Steinschneider. And Steinschneider got to know Hitler. Now, believe it or not, Hitler was actually initially on the right path. And he even had some contacts, not, not, not contacts that he was aware of, but he was being, Hitler was actually being impulsed by the Playaren when he was very young. And they were hoping he was going to be a good leader and very positive to help bring the earth people together. But well, this he, Steinschneider, he, um, go ahead. Yeah, um, Hitler was, first of all, you know, a really good artist. Oh, and yeah. If you, if you look at, at his behavior before World War One, I, I mean, he took care of his sister. He he gave up his inheritance for his sister so she would be able to live. And it wasn't until, um, and, and I, I could be wrong, but I, I, if I am wrong, I'm not off by much. Um, that the, <clears throat> when he got in, in into the Thule Society, among other things, they were using mushrooms, hallucinogenic mushrooms, to alter the consciousness. And that's where he went off track. It was through the Thule Society. I I didn't realize they were using mushrooms. (laughs) That's quite interesting. That's the first time I had heard that. But, um, yes, exactly. Hitler also, have you ever heard any of his, ever um, seen any translations of his speeches? I saw a speech of his. Uh, from the middle 1930s, maybe it was the late 1930s, maybe it was 39, on YouTube, and they had the translation below it. And when you see Hitler speak, he's so emphatic that you'd think, oh, he's just a raving lunatic. Well, he wasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. 
In fact, I might have for <laughs> the guy. <laughs> tell you the truth, he was very, very, uh, very, very brilliant and a very yeah. clear. And he saw the corruption in the elite way back in World War II times. The things we're talking about now, he was talking about then. But he got taken off the wrong track by this Steinschneider fellow who was being impulsed by the Giza intelligences. And eventually Hitler went, you know, basically insane and had his ambition to take over the world and went into Russia in the middle of the winter and did all kinds of crazy things like that. Yeah. But, um, so the Giza intelligences indirectly uh, had contact with Hitler, had contact with the Thule Society, and they were here on the earth influencing uh, earth history and earth, earth people until about the late 1970s where they were forced off the earth by the player. And and uh, at this point, I think they're pretty much all disbanded or dead. But their technology is still adversely affecting us. I don't know how. It was never explained by the contact notes. But it still affects us and will affect us for another three centuries. Well, that, that would make sense. So Go ahead. If, if they had been influencing us on a... <clears throat> on a higher consciousness level, it probably created archetypes within our DNA so that as we, you know, evolved and, you know, kept coming back in time, that that archetype in, was in the DNA so that so that they created archetypes that probably were meant to take us off track. And so it's a matter of trying to unlearn something that was, implanted in us before we even got into this reality. Could be. Barbara, do you mind if we take like a, a one-minute break real quick? No, I'll talk. You go break. Okay, I'll take a short break and I'll be right back. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think this, this material for me is so fascinating because the more I study, the more I see how it dovetails into a lot of other philosophies that are out there. And I'm looking into a lot of the um, Emerald Tablet material, and it, it, it sort of dovetails into that. And when, when Mark was talking about the um, under the Giza Plateau, the, um, the, the large rooms and everything, they've recently um, had, with the, with the use of um, ground-penetrating pe- radar, they've gone to the um, Giza Plateau, and there, there are at least three, two or three levels of um, structures that are under the Giza Plateau. And some of them are as large as, I think, 36 or 42 football fields. So that, so that you know, the, um, the, the fact that, you know, you hear these, this talk about going in, under the Giza Plateau, and they have discovered that there are two or three levels of structures that are under that, and, and they, they, they go back in, in time so that they predate, predate, and predate. Um, they aren't necessarily connected, but they are definitely there. And it would, it would make sense. That I was just talking about the different levels of structures they found under the Giza Plateau with ground. Oh, yeah, Dr. Carmen Bolter has done a lot of work with that. And it's, so it's that, vast. It's huge. It's just vast. 
Well, you know, you were talking about the vastness of the chamber they went into, and there is one of those that's as big as 1830 um, football fields. Really? Yeah, it, it, it's huge, and it would probably be large enough to um, have a, have a uh, vehicle in. Well, what's interesting is after that whole experience with Ascot, uh, Billy, and he's only 16 years old, decided he was going to study the religions of the world. And he went to the Middle East, and he ended up in the Ashoka Ashram in India. And Ascot just followed him. And there are pictures of her ship hovering over the Ashoka Ashram. And the people nearby would see her ship, and I guess in India... It's not as quite a big a deal as it would be here in the U.S. And sometimes Askit would actually beam down into the garden, and Billy and her would be discussing things in the garden. And, you know, the gardeners would see them and uh, just kind of go on about their business. Uh, Billy also met, when he was in the Ashoka Ashram, a lady named Fobal Chang, but she was actually a young girl at that time. And she became uh, a U.N. diplomat. And later she would visit Billy in Switzerland, and they would reminisce about the experiences there. And uh, this young girl had seen Askit also and had some level of telepathic interaction with her as well. Uh So it's a very, very interesting story. Um, And Billy, he eventually, or he did many, many different jobs when he was, in India in the Middle East. Uh at some point though, he had his he had the terrible bus accident. He lost his his left arm and then he had a real difficult period in his life for several months after that where he was trying to recover from this horrific accident. Eventually he met his wife Calliope, who was I think she was only seventeen years old at that time. And then they um, traveled back to Switzerland. They got married, and they ended up having three children. Um, Billy's contacts with Ascot ended, and he had 11 years of no contacts at all. And then I, I guess he was really close to 40 years old before his contacts picked back up, and he started to have the cooling sensation on his forehead again, before the contact would take place. And then he would be told to take his moped off into, you know, some remote area in Switzerland, and then he would go off into the woods and hide the moped. And the ship would land, and then Semyase would come out, and they would sit there in the open, you know, in the summertime in Switzerland and have these very, very, very profound discussions and this is when Billy started to write his contacts down because after the contact was complete, he would drive his moped back home, uh, log into his computer, and then the the computer on the ship would contact him some way telepathically and send him word-for-word transmission of the conversation between him and Semyase, and Billy would type it out with one one hand at about 60 words a minute in German. 
And that's how the Play Are in Contact notes started. Billy later went back and wrote about his experiences with Askett and his, his experiences with Thoth. But he he met with Semyase up until uh, the late 1970s, I believe. And then she had an accident, a life-threatening accident, um, they wouldn't often do this, but occasionally she would beam right down into the the center there in Switzerland, this Silver Star Center, and her and Billy were talking uh, at one point, and someone came into the room. I think it was one of the other FIGU members, uh, Jacobus. And now I have to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent to understand what happened, because Simiasi fell and hit her head, but... The reason she did is it's kind of predictable, actually, because, see, our thoughts are much more powerful than we realize yet here on the earth. And the Pleiaran are very intuitive and very telepathic, and they can sense our thoughts very much. And if you or I were around a Pleiaran, you would just be overwhelmed by this harmonious thinking you would literally feel it and you would be amazed and you know you'd probably follow them around like a puppy dog <laughs> well they feel something just the opposite of that when they come in contact with a normal earth human they literally lose control of their faculties because they sense our instability our uh, anxiety our fear or anger and all these negative things so they're literally overwhelmed in fact when they're in the vicinity of earth humans typically normally they wear a protective device to screen out our thoughts to screen out our, our vibrations i don't like that word but to screen yeah. that out well she didn't have any any protection so she was hit by all of his thinking and that's one of the reasons why they don't like pictures to be taken of them because people will look at these pictures and think certain things about these extraterrestrials well our thoughts are very much more powerful than we realize and they could be subject to all kinds of negative thoughts but anyway Semyasa hit her head she fell she hit her head on the edge of a table and she managed to beam herself back up to her ship but she lapsed into a coma. She was eventually found, taken back to ERA, and she received some kind of medical treatment. Um, and in about six months or something, the contacts with uh, Billy picked up again, but she had a relapse, and she had to be taken to the Tao universe by this other group of extraterrestrials called the Sonar, and they had to do tremendous kinds of things to... She had what you might... what we would call brain surgery, for lack of a better word. It's even more intense than that. But she won't be normal again for another 70 years. So wow. that's when Billy's contacts with Semyase stopped, and his contacts picked up with uh, Ptah and Quetzal. And since the late 70s, he's met with Ptah and Quetzal. So I thought you, you'd find that 
whole story interesting as well. Yeah. I wasn't there something else too? Um <clears throat> gosh, you know, it it's gonna sound stupid, but it does it have something to do with they just couldn't take our vibrations or our smell? Uh, well <laughs> yeah. well, that's the way Billy described it. He said that uh Okay. Our our vibrations again. I don't like that word. To them, are like a putrid smell. It's just really he he had, he put it a different way. He put it very appropriately, and yeah, it's that's the way it is. Um, I think that's just so interesting, actually. And they talked about there is um, one of Billy's books. It's called Om Fallen Murado, uh, the Navel of Life. And it talks about when the what they're called the kings of wisdom, the Ishwishes, would visit the earth in the ancient, ancient past. Um, their life could be threatened if literally by the thoughts of the wrong kind of earth person who was so negative in their thinking. So now I can't tell you much more than that, but that's how powerful our thoughts are and billy has a whole book it's called the might of thoughts on mock der gedanken in the german and it's like reading uh, a book by someone with six phds it's about 400 pages long i'm i'm almost done with it for the third time <laughs> and i feel like i've just barely scratched the surface uh, well, I know. I think one of the things that impressed me um, <clears throat> was when, and of course, I have. I'm reading um, an English translation of, of the German, but the flow of energy, uh, for want of a better word, um, and and the 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 voice of the writer sounds as though it is a highly educated person, and, and I know that Billy was not. Well, traditionally highly educated. Well, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Fifth grade, I think. Yeah, so so it it makes you you know you you have to you you have to you 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 really have to sit back and just um, be in awe of right. the, the quality of the material that he's putting out there, and you know whether you whether you go along with it or not, you know doesn't matter the. The body of work that he has put out there is profound. And oh, it's very profound. Especially, you know, what I focus on most is what you might call the spiritual teaching. So spiritual teaching is very broad, and it covers uh-huh. a whole lot of different material from a lot of different areas. Um, let me dive into something quickly about the human spirit that I find so interesting. Samyase explained it this way when she met with Billy in 1975. She said that every human has within them a spirit that does not sleep and does not die. It records all of our thoughts and impulsations. It will tell you if your thinking is true or false if you've learned to pay attention to it. She said that the human spirit is the bearer of the creative realm. It's the wonder of all wonders, and all power comes from the human spirit. She said that 
those who are rich in spirit will become an instrument through which the creation reveals the spiritual realms. Now, when a child is born, 21 days after the sperm fertilizes the egg, the spirit, what's called the Geist form in the German, comes into the brain of the child, and it resides in an area called the superior colliculus, which is in the midbrain, and that's the part of your brain that controls sight, so where you're looking, et cetera, et cetera. When the spirit form comes in, it radiates an energy throughout the entire body in a lattice structure. It causes the heart to beat. It brings life to the body. The embryo, the, I should say the fetus, and they call it a fetus at only 21 days old, the and do, at that time starts consciousness evolution. And what comes also in with the spirit is what the Meyer material refers to as the consciousness block. Now, the consciousness block is made up of your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, and your unconscious mind. Now, the unconscious mind is much more important than we realize, and it affects us a whole lot more. I mean, I think it's amazing. The subconscious mind, what also comes in the subconscious mind is the wisdom of the predecessor personalities. The Flowers say that most people do not have specific memories of past lives. Most people, you know, I'm sure there are definitely exceptions to that rule. At our current level of evolution, most of the information we get from the predecessor personalities are inspiration or impulse. Now, we have what's called a spiritual consciousness and a material consciousness. The spiritual consciousness is controlled by the spirit. And there's particularly something in the spirit called the gamut, which controls the thoughts and the feelings of the spiritual consciousness. Now, in the material consciousness, you have something called the psyche, And the psyche controls the thoughts and the feelings of the material consciousness. Your material consciousness can be harmed. You can go insane. You can have a nervous breakdown. You can be very sad. You can be depressed. Your spiritual consciousness is invulnerable. It cannot be harmed by anything in the material realm. It will never be unhappy. It will always be neutral positive it functions like a piece of the universal consciousness there is a universal consciousness sometimes the player and we use the word creation with the universal consciousness they say the universal consciousness is neither good nor evil it's a neutral positive entity it's balanced between the negative and the positive. It stays in balance. It's only slightly swayed towards the positive. The creation is a pure spiritual energy. 
and it created our universe 46 trillion years ago. Our universe will expand to about 155 trillion years, and it will go into its contraction phase. The creation creates human spirits to help it with its evolutionary process. So a human spirit leaves the spiritual realm and is put into the body of the child at 21 days, you will reincarnate into a physical body, according to the book called The Psyche, for 42 million years. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and and you'll go through five evolutionary stages in a material body. Now, we here on the Earth are in the second stage. We are in what's called rational life, although we don't always act so rationally. The third stage is intelligent life. The fourth stage is what they call real life. The fifth stage is the last stage of physical, a completely physical existence. Uh, the Pleiaran mostly are at the fifth stage. Some of them are still at the fourth stage. There's some interesting things that happen to societies in the fourth and fifth stage. Um, in the fourth stage, we become real space travelers. We start to learn how to travel from star to star with almost no time passing. We do incredible things with genetic engineering. Uh, for example, Semyasa's ship has an organic intelligence as a central computer. It's sentient. It's self-aware. It thinks. She, she had telepathic contact with her ship. So the things they can do with technology and genetics are just beyond imagination. In the fifth stage of evolution, uh, many people become what's called the king of wisdom or the ishwish. And that's where your material consciousness becomes incredibly powerful. You can do telekinesis and teleportation and uh, telepathy and all these incredible things. After the 42 million years, we go into a half-physical, half-spiritual state. And we're in that state for a very, very, very long time. Now, the Pleiaran are not at that point yet, but they have contact with a higher group of human beings which are in that half-physical, half-spiritual state. That group is in the Andromeda Galaxy. They often get advice from this group about certain different kinds of things. Uh, after the sixth stage, which is half physical, half spiritual, we go into pure spiritual states. And at that point, you don't have a physical body at all. You know, That's hard for me to even really wrap my mind around, but that, that, that's the whole story there. So that... Eventually, you go through seven levels of the pure spiritual state, and then you merge back with creation. The spirit form of Edward Albert Meyer is very unusual. It's been through all of those evolutionary steps, but has come back to be a teacher, not just on Earth, but first of all on, on other worlds and other galaxies. The Earth is five billion years old 
give you an example. The spirit form that's currently the spiritual consciousness of Edward Albert Meyer is 9.6 billion years old. So that will give you an interesting uh, comparison. Now, let me let me make another analogy. <laughs> this will hopefully, you know, when you when you look at these time frames, they really start to put things in perspective. Uh-huh. Humanity on the Earth, the evolution of Homo sapiens. There, there is a naturally developing Earth human. Started nine to twelve million years ago. Uh-huh. Um, primates evolved into uh, thinking beings. It's it's not the ape. The Meyer material says it's not the ape. It's actually the primate. And they say that Darwin falsified some of his material. But that's another story. So the primate evolved into Homo sapiens sapiens here on Earth about 9 to 12 million years ago. A At some point, a human spirit comes in to the whenever at whatever developmental point you're a homo sapien that's when the human spirit comes in and then you'll you start your reincarnational life in in the material life most human beings on the earth their spirit forms are 4 to 5 million years old here on the earth there's 200 219.8 million spirit forms on Earth that are older than that. They're between 8 and 12 million years old. And those are the people that in the ancient past came here on spacecraft, died, entered into the reincarnational patterns of Earth. So it's my contention, my speculation many of the people that are interested in this kind of material may be older spirit forms because they are looking for answers to maybe they're looking for questions because they already have answers that they're trying to verify they already know things what they don't understand is how they know these things if you're if you understand what i'm trying to get at yeah i do you know, uh, so I find that very interesting. So we're at the top of the hour, and I don't want to. I don't know if you have breaks or how you do things. I'm fine, actually. I can go on for as long as you want. Okay. No, I don't but usually take a break. You don't take a break. Good for you. I, I, I don't a lot of times either, but sometimes I have to. But um, so. So the long and short of that whole line of discussion, I guess, that I'm starting to get at is there, the earth was visited in the ancient past, and there were ancient civilizations, and we see part of their handiwork, and I know you're very well aware of this, like the Great Pyramid of Giza. According to Meyer material, that's 73,000 years old. And that's the product of the muscle and the physical labor of native earth humans as well as the planning and the telekinetic abilities of people from Orion and people from uh, Leo, 
constellation of Leo. Um, I've been talking too long. I'll let you interject here, Barbara. <laughs> no, um, you, you know, it's it's Billy Meyer is just an amazing man, and and you left out what I what I think is one of the coolest things. He joined the Foreign Legion, and he served in the Foreign Legion in the desert. Didn't like killing people, so he ran away from that, and and that's when he went back home. Um, but he has what what I love about his material is that at least the parts that I have read, um, it it has to do with the fact that that you know some of the stuff you know I I think is is um, over the top. But but maybe it's just over the top because I'm not in a place to understand it appropriately. But for the most part, what I've been, been looking at the last couple of days are his prophecies and how he he has such a profoundly spiritual way of trying to explain how we are not focused in the right direction. That that and 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 I keep I keep getting the feeling that that. He's trying to get attention to put us back on the right pathway, and and there it feels like there's an inner frustration within everything he write, he writes because he repeats himself over and over and over again. And um, this last year, I, I I write prophecies for every month of the year, and and I do overviews. And what what I found fascinating was the prophecies that I was reading. He did in. 2009, and I, I I I wrote a lot of the same stuff that he was writing then. You know, it's it's, it's like 35 years later, but um, it, it's the same feeling that that I'm getting that that people, you know, create their own reality. That that you can't you can't complain about something being done to you because you've created the pathway or the energy or the energetic. To create that within your within your own reality, you're responsible for everything, and if you choose to, you can fix it or you can suffer and, and gripe about it. But but he was talking about earthquakes. He was talking about overpopulation. He he really, um, at least in the in in the stuff that I was reading, he kept going over and over and over again on on overpopulation and crowded cities and. And disease, and and that we are taking disease into pure parts of our planet and exposing people that have never, you know, it's it's kind of like what Columbus did when he he um, discovered Hispaniola, which was not lost. Um, he brought major disease. He almost destroyed all of the population of the indigenous people, and and it it feels like. Among other things, Billy has written and, and is continuing to write, I'm sure, about, about you know, those who don't understand history are, are doomed to, um, to repeat it. And, and I get the feeling that humanity is repeating um, things that, that we've done before. And biblically speaking, um, this is the third time that, that we've started from single-celled animals and, you know, grown to a point where, Face it, we could destroy the entire planet, and and it, you know it's not a sin because our spirits are forever and we will go on for eternity. But it would be nice if we didn't screw it up this time. But but 
he has written about things like string theory. He has he has written about a number of things that he he couldn't possibly have learned a significant amount about to be able to put it into the material that he's writing. Well, maybe that's a good segue, and I can talk a little bit about Contact Report 215. Uh, so this this is the 215th contact that Billy had with the player, and, and at this point he's speaking with Quetzal, who is one of the player and extraterrestrials. Uh, Quetzal was around 350 years old, and... He's currently right around 350 years old. At one point, he was the commander of all the the stations that the Pleiaran had in our solar system. I don't think they have any more in our solar system anymore, but he's, he does still meet with Billy, does have contacts with Billy. Now, what's interesting here about the Hanok prophecies, one of the things that's interesting is that Hanok was one of the prior... Uh, incarnations of the spirit form of Nokodamian. And when I was talking earlier about Billy's spirit form, the extraterrestrials know it by name. They refer to it as Nokodamian or Nokodamjan. And uh, as I said earlier, it had been Enoch. Enoch. Well, the person that we call Enoch, they call Hanok. So we are talking about the Hanok prophecies in Contact Report 215. So let me uh, just go over a couple of these things I think you'll find very interesting. At the point in time at which these prophecies will begin to be fulfilled will be when a pope will no longer reside in Rome. So I think we're still a little bit before that since we still have a pope. Now listen to what they say will happen to Europe, and we're already seeing this right now. It says all of Europe will then fall victim to a terrible punishment by evil powers. And I think the evil powers that we're seeing are the Islamic invasion of all the immigrants. Yeah. It's scary stuff. In Sweden, I know you've heard all about it, uh, the rape games. It's just terrific. And then it says here, the Christian religion will collapse and the churches and the monasteries will end up in ruins and ashes. I don't think that's happened yet, but it's it's another thing that will happen. And then it goes on to say that millions and billions of people will be killed by terrorists. Monstrous voice, forces will be released by the military. And in some parts of the world, every third human being or every fourth human being will lose their life. So this is horrific prophecies. Um, probably the worst prophecy of all is much later, a couple pages later, and it talks about the greatest disaster in human history, which will occur in the North American continent when nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons will be released by automated systems, by computer computerized systems, which run outside of human control. And that creates this devastation that occurs. Also in the United States, we'll have two civil wars 
and uh, eventually will be broken up into five different areas. And it talks about the firestorms which will sweep across the United States. I don't know if you've ever followed the fires, but we've been getting unbelievable fires in, in the western part of the United States. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> five years or so. So it's, yeah, it's it's horrific stuff. Uh, that's why I, I try to focus on the spiritual teachings because these are only, um, how can I say this? We can turn this around. This doesn't, oh, yeah. this doesn't have to happen. So that's but why I try. No, it, it, it's, I think, one of the things that, that got me so, um, got my attention for sure when I was doing the overview for this year. Um, I kept hearing boots boots marching, drums beating, and I kept seeing the Boston Tea Party. Mm. And I kept getting the feeling that, you, that, that, that at least the Americans have come to a point where we are overtaxed and controlled by a large corporate entity, and we are getting to the point where... Um, there is rebellion stirring. Mm-hmm. All of that I can yeah. see already. And I, I, you know, I, I guess depending upon how these elections go, will determine whether or not there really is a revolution. But it does feel like there's a revolution coming. Do you have any specific predictions? I, I'll make one. I'm not a prophet, so I don't care if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care at all. I, I have no uh, reputation to maintain, so I'll just throw out a, my own little <laughs> thing here. Um, I think that that it's going to be real apparent in this election that the elections are controlled and that they are rigged because you're going to see Donald Trump lose, and I think you're going to see Hillary win. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but uh, in one of the areas, I forget which part of the country, of you know where they do the electoral college thing, which I don't understand all that well, but uh, Bernie Sanders was totally ahead. And then if they, I don't know, there's some, maybe you know more about this than I, but at some point they have to do a coin toss to see who gets oh, the election. Oh, oh. Yeah. That, that and, was, and Hillary yeah. won six coin tosses in a row. Yeah, but 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 to be fair, she was not calling it. Oh, she, she was? No, she wasn't even present when they did the coin toss. Uh, it okay. apparently is is written in their in their, you know, how to do this book that if it is that close that they will, you know, they will designate one side as is for one side of the coin. You no, know, she wasn't even present. She had nothing to do with that. Well, maybe somebody they worked for. Her? I don't know. I'm just no, speculating. No, it, it, it was the poll people. But I, the the um, the super delegates are committed to her in in that in in um, Ohio. So that's why she's ahead with the delegate thing. But I have. Two things that, that that have been sort of bugging me. 
The one is, I think Hillary, they will leave her alone until right before the convention, and she will be indicted, and they will slip a dark horse in to run instead of her. Oh, that's interesting. I, I feel that they will let her run the whole gamut, and and mm. if if her popularity is so bad that they don't think she can carry it, they will put some. They will indict her wow. and and take her out of the race and put someone else in. And the other thing that I feel so strongly about, I can't tell you why, when I heard that um, the um, um, Antonin, oh, what's his last name? Um, the, 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 the Supreme, the... Um, oh, Scalia? Scalia. I think yeah, the, the guy that was killed? He, yes, he was murdered. I swear to you, he was murdered. Of course. They found and, him in a, in a Texas ranch with a, a pillow over his head. Well, I mean, I, I, they did clarify that. It wasn't really over his face. It was just he was laying on a pillow, and there was a pillow leaning against the headboard. But okay. I believe he was killed. Oh, sure. And, and I, I believe that, that, you know, they said he was ill and stuff like that. You don't go hunting if you're ill. Exactly. You don't, and you don't go sitting in duck blinds if you're ill. So um, I, I, and, and I find it very strange that his, that his family did not want an autopsy. Oh, of course, yes. I mean, and I don't know how many things he, he was saying that was um, against the mainstream. I mean, he was very much for the Second Amendment, and he was speaking out against all these executive orders that the president has done, and next thing he, he shows up dead. Well, not only that, but Obama is is able to try to put somebody in his place. I don't think that, well, I don't know, because I'm beginning to strongly feel that, you know, Republicans and Democrats and the committees and everything, I I think they're being manipulated, and I don't think that that they have any real power. I think there's something manipulating them. And so I just, you know... I, I just, I'm, I'm, mind, what gobsmacked I think is the term, because it really feels like we are pieces in a game and we don't know the rules. That's an interesting way to put it. Billy does say there is a secret dark order on the earth that is working to control all the money and all the power. And in the in, the, in his book, The Goblet of Truth. He says that um, in the third millennium, which is what we're in now, that the people of the earth will become indolent and obtuse, meaning they'll be very insensitive and very slow to learn, and that this will create kind of a um, maliciousness and confusion, which will run over the earth, and it it will be amplified because the, our leaders will become megalomaniacal and they will start to take away our rights of self-determination. Well, but the people you know, will but, be but, indifferent. But don't you think for, I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions to every rule, but don't you think that there has been um, a haze of malaise 
over all of humanity for the last 20 years? A haze in terms of they're kind of hypnotized? Yeah, they just, I mean, people just, they don't ask questions anymore. They don't check things out anymore. They just kind of cruise along, and they don't question. And and if people had been questioning and checking things out, our government never would have gotten to the point it is now. It, it just wouldn't. Well, part of the problem is, well, there's a whole lot of factors that contribute to what you're talking about. Part of the problem could be our electronic media, which is something I just learned about in Contact Report. I think it's uh, oh, 354 or 345. I forget which one. I, I don't have it with me out right now. I'd have to go searching for it. But it talks about the, our electronic media. It destroys our perception. It um, actually d- decreases our brain size. It, um, it impairs our cognition. It actually has physical effects on our body, like it causes us to gain weight. It um, can cause aggression. So they say don't read online. Avoid that as much as possible. Um, Print things out that you're interested in. That's all my printouts I have now, and I read directly from paper. And another thing that's important about that is there's something called fine fluidal energies, which Mm -hmm. come from your spirit form and your body and your psyche into your books, into, like, your clothes, into your musical instruments if you're a musician. And that's kind of trace a remnant of you. And you shouldn't really let people handle your books where you read them. And you should read books as opposed to electronic media because electronic media is degrading our psyche and it's degrading our intelligence. And uh, I'm trying to wean myself off of it as much as possible. It's interesting that my computer uh, <laughs> is not working tonight, So, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, that's another shocking thing. Well, Billy uh, has, I mean, like, like you said, he's written 40 books. And on top of that, there is a library of his material, I would imagine. And, yeah, and it, 40 and, and books, uh, six over 600 contact notes. And some of these contact notes, like Contact 215 that we're talking about with the prophecies, are over 100 pages long. Well, you know, well, what gets me is he's very much in, in, in sort of similar to Nostradamus and Edgar Cayce. Um, and even even I would say... Gene Dixon, um, and I don't know, maybe, 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 big maybe, underlined big, um, Sylvia Brown. And all of these people, um, none of them ever got rich. Basically, they were just trying to put information out there. Um, None of them were out for the profit. They were out for sharing information and 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 hopefully helping humanity to turn the corner and, and get in the right direction. Um, 
Billy is very humble. He's he's not at all um, carried away by his ego. <laughs> and no, and what's interesting, going back to watch some of his older films, when he was in his 40s, he had a, a very special kind of energy. You know, now he's pretty old. But he radiated a very, um, I, I don't even have the words to describe it, but there's a lot of humility there, a very unusual kind of humility now, that now, I, I just think is really beautiful. Is he still in contact? Oh, yeah, he still has contacts. Um, not quite as often. What is um, interesting is if you look at the development of his books, like The Might of Thoughts, like there's a book called The Psyche here that I wanted to just read something from really quickly. It's <laughs> I read the first, uh, I think the first seven or eight chapters of this book like a dozen times before I could even begin to understand what it was saying. And even now, I still think I'm learning from it. Um, there's an interesting passage in here about the devil, which I thought people might find interesting. Uh, hang on here. Okay. All right. Okay. Only still lacking was the personification of the evil and its naming, for that a few clever minds reached into the history of the old Celts, who in ancient times revered a superman, one of those named gods as the god of the hunt, because he put in place his immense spiritual and consciousness-based powers for the benefit of the people of the hunt. Ancient lores, etc., showed that this god, who had two horn-like growths on his skull, was named Tubal. Upon his death, his position became personified by a Celt, who, with a change of name, called him Tebow, and as a symbolization of the one named god, wore an animal skull with horns on his head, therefore imitating the Superman with his horn-like growths. Over the course of centuries and millennia, the name Tubal was changed countless times until the name Devil arose from it, a name that was seized upon by the young religions and in memory of the named Horn God. Now, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. You can yeah. decide for yourself how much of that you think is real or not. <laughs> I um, think it's real, but you know, maybe I'm over the top. <laughs> no, it resonates but, well, with me. No, I I would I would agree that 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 kind of a an evolution would make sense. Um, but I'm in a time and place philosophically where um I don't believe that there is an e that, that that there is a, an energy that is evil. I do believe that that sometimes we t want to blame someone else for the difficulties we go through, 
and and feel that we are becoming a victim and and want to put a name to that victim when in reality it's it's because of our own behavior that something has happened so well it's interesting you say that because what billy has said before that's extremely controversial and makes a lot of people angry is that no spirit form is evil he says spirit forms are neutral they're uh-huh. neutral positive the spiritual consciousness is neutral positive what happens is people become evil in their material consciousness so there really is no devil there is no by by that same token and this will tick off probably a lot of your listeners there's really no angels per se either no i don't believe there are either <laughs> well good i'm glad to hear you say that <laughs> Because that that really is controversial. I, I, in in my opinion, okay, this is just my opinion. I'm not quoting anybody, but in my opinion, we we sometimes need to feel that we are being guided, protected, helped, whatever. And in order for us to be our higher consciousness, uh, our link with the infinite, in order to help put our minds to rest. It gives us a holographic vision of what we expect to see. But in reality, it's us. Yeah, that that kind of coincides with a lot of the Meyer information as well. Um, You know, it depends on how controversial you want to get. There's um, um, another area we could dive into if you're interested in the name Emmanuel. Okay. And the whole story about Emmanuel. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that tonight or not. Well, no, it's, I mean, I have no, I have no agenda here. Just go. Okay. Uh, well, do you mind if we take another very, very short break? About a no, minute. No, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. No problem. Okay. Thanks. I, I think one of the other, one of the other um, things that over time I have become sort of leaning in another direction is and and you know don't everybody hang up at the same time but but the concept of god of of I do believe that there is a consciousness that created us but I but I also believe that that there is a, a direct link a direct connection so that so that we are a part of that consciousness so in essence we are god and and um, can we manifest it ourselves? Can we create universes ourselves? No, not not at this point in time. But but I do believe that we are on track to someday become the kind of universal consciousness that would turn around and create a universe or a galaxy or whatever. So I, I think that, that that absolutely we are so much more powerful than that any of us actually realize that, that we have, it, it, it kind of goes back to that old story about how we were created in the image of, of, of the creator. And not in the physical sense of humans, but in, this, but in the sense of um, spiritual energies. And so because we were created with the same powers that that creator had, um, the creator went, uh-oh, I've made a mistake. 
they can't possibly know how powerful they are until they have learned how to use the talents, the skills, the wisdoms, the the, the power that that they each have. So they so that that creation entity um, hid it from us and hid it within us, and so we are always looking outside of ourselves for guidance and wisdom and teachers and masters and guides and all of these things when in reality it's all inside of us and when we get to the point where we accept it embrace it and live it we are going to be limited by by ourselves because we aren't to a point to be able to with wisdom and love and integrity utilize all those gifts that we carry within us are you back yeah, I'm back. One of the things okay. Billy says always is, in the Meyer writings, talks about um, that we're responsible for uh-huh. our thoughts, our feelings. And he says that one of the big problems with our religions today is that they exist because we really don't want to bear our own responsibility. And it's our responsibility for evolution. So we, yeah, like you were saying, we really have to harness the power of our own thoughts and learn to be responsible. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, and another reason for at least Christianity and Judaism, I guess, is that religion was invented, created, in order to give the masses who are uneducated and illiterate and 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 you know pretty simple to give them a structure to live by and rules to live by and a god that they could um they could they could rely upon that would take care of them and and we don't need that kind of structure today because because the church has become a corporate entity and no longer really is looking out for us as as spirits so that so that it it's and and I don't mean you know anybody who is horribly religious and loves it and embraces it that's wonderful but it's not for everybody these days it was a um one of the most controversial writings, the Meyer materials called the Talmud of Emmanuel, and it was discovered in the Middle East. Um, I believe it was in the middle 60s or so by Billy Meyer and a man named Isa Rashid. And Isa Rashid was a Greek Orthodox priest who um, could read Aramaic, and he did started out translating this very, very in this ancient writing that's supposed to go back to the first century. And he had translated oh about I don't know fifty, sixty percent of it, and was discovered by the Secret Service of Israel, the Mossad, and he was machine gunned to death and his I believe his house was burned down. And so only a certain portion of the Talmud made it back to Switzerland. 
So Billy got um, part of the translation back, and then eventually the first um, printing of the Talmud came out. And there's some kind of controversy there. I guess it's it's a long story. Anyway, there's been a second printing of it, a second um, translation of the Talmud. And the Talmud talks about Emmanuel and the life of Emmanuel. Now, according to Meyer information, uh, the person that we call Jesus today was really named Emmanuel. And I always, uh-huh. I was highly, highly skeptic of of this uh, portion of the Meyer material. In fact, it didn't, re- it didn't even really resonate with me that much. So, one day I thought, well, what the hell? I'll do my own research, see what I find out. Fully thinking that I would find that the whole story of Jesus would be verified and it would all be supported. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I found out. <laughs> so the first thing I found out was a shocker. Um, and, you know, if anyone has any input on this, I mean, I'm glad to hear from them. But as far as I can tell, and this has been verified from multiple sources, and it's so strange that people are going to have a hard time believing it, there was really no letter J in the ancient world. I know that sounds absurd. There was no letter J in the English, not in the Spanish, not in the in the German, not in the Hebrew, not in the Greek, not in the Latin. There was no letter J until 1550. A guy named Gian Giorgio Torissino, a Italian scholar, invented the letter J as kind of a substitute for the letter I in certain places. And he invented it first in the in the German, and eventually it found its way into the French and then the English. So the first printing of the Gutenberg Bible and the first printing of the King James Bible did not have the letter J in it. So the book of Job was the book of I-O-B. For the name Jesus, you will see the name I-E-S-U-S, I-E-S-U-S. Now, for other names, you you won't see the book. Uh, you won't see the name Jehovah. It'll be Yahovah. Joshua will be Yeshua. Anyway, um, I was amazed by that, and then I did a little more research because I always remember seeing the old paintings from the Renaissance with the letter, the letters, the acronym I N R I underneath it, and I always didn't know what that was. Well, in the Latin, that is Isis Nazarenus Rex Iadorium, which we today translate Jesus, uh, King of Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, they thought it would be neat to switch the I with the J. So they got eventually. <laughs> That evolved into Jesus. So I was like an epiphany. I had, wow, you know, maybe his name really was Emmanuel. Well, in the Bible, it does. It, I, one of the angels says to Mary, "You're going to have a son, and you name him Emmanuel." Yes. 
That's very true. It does not say name him Jesus. It says name his name shall be known as Emmanuel. Now I have a, a, a contact in Switzerland who works with Billy pretty close, and I ask her questions from now and again. She's her her name is Marianne Eulinger Mondrian, and she does a lot of translations of Billy's material, and she writes articles for Figu and, and things like that. And I ask her about that. One thing I asked her was why was if there was no letter J, why did the letter J appear later also for the name Emmanuel? And she said there was no letter J in any of the English languages or any any ancient earth-based language. The letter J came from the Lyrian. And we haven't had the opportunity to talk much about the Lyrians tonight. But the Lyrians were here 22 million years ago, here uh, 389,000 years ago, and I believe 13,500 years ago again. And some Lyrians died on the earth and entered the reincarnational patterns of earth. Some Lyrians violated certain rules and regulations and entered into this agreement some codex where in later incarnations they would help to rectify the damage they had done to the earth peoples. Um, so anyway, the, that's where the letter J comes from. And well, wait, wait, wait. I have I have a question then. They sure. recently, well, I don't know how recently. Time time kind of blends together for me, but they discovered an ossuary um, that they they say was for Jesus, and on it it says. Jesus, son of Joseph, brother of um, Thomas, I think, and they 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 were saying that it was that that had to be the actuary of Jesus. What what what, do you, what is an actuary? Um, after after um, somebody dies and they are put in their tombs, after a period of time, they go back after after the body is rotted away. And the body and the bones are taken and put in a small, small box. Um, well, not not real small. I mean, it's big enough for the bones to fit in. But and and the ash the the burial ossuaries are actually little boxes that have the bones in them that have been you know that have been cleaned by time, and so that so that they aren't just always left out on slabs. They're 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 taken from that when when the when the body has disintegrated and the bones are put in the ossuaries and the ossuaries are what are buried actually. Hmm. That's very interesting. You know, I can't really comment on that. It's very interesting though. Um. You know, Google Google. You know, the ossuary of Jesus. Um. It, it, they made a big thing of it, and they actually they actually went down into um into the crypts and. I don't know if it was John the Baptist or Jesus, but they 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 thought they had found the place where the ossuary had been for Jesus. So, um, well, it's interesting. Um, like I said, I, I you know it's very interesting. There could be something to it for certain. I, I can't really comment. Uh, I've never heard that before. I do know. I believe the Meyer material says that Emmanuel, after the crucifixion, survived. He eventually left the Middle East 
after the crucifixion, and he went to India. And I believe he actually had a family in India, and he lived to be, I think, 120 years old. And they, I believe he died, according to the Meyer information, in Srinagar, India, or some something along those lines. Now, again, I just throw that out there. I'm not trying to convince anyone one way or another. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. <laughs> well, so what is, I mean, is Billy just living quietly there and, and not, you know, doing any more, or is he continuing to write and stuff like that? Oh, he's, as far as I know, he continues to to write. I know um, these these contact notes keep coming out, and his books keeps, keep coming out. Um, the big problem, I think, is so little of it's been translated into English. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of skill to translate these books and these contact hey, notes. We're talking 40, 50 years. Now, I know that, that um, <clears throat> I think you have the translation done by, a, you know, or read by a computer that, that you play on your radio show sometimes. Um, it, it, it's, he's had such a personal connection with a lot of these people. And in a lot of the information, it talks about how it, it really is a dimension that is very close to ours, so that, so that it's, the ships really were interdimensional travel vehicles. They weren't spaceships that went through space. Well, um, boy, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's the... The Pleiaran themselves do not live in our what they call our time-space configuration. Uh, not only is our universe incredibly immense and extremely complicated just to understand in one dimension, but there are multiple dimensions. So in these different space-time configurations, there are planets and, for example, the Lyrians also we're in a different space-time configuration than ours. And this is uh, baffling, uh, overwhelming, uh, and and very, very interesting as well. The Pleiaran, they left the Earth in 1995, and at that time they revealed their true identity. For centuries they have been called the Pleiadians, and they're not from our Pleiades. They're from some 80 light years beyond our Pleiades in a different space-time configuration. They live on a planet called Era, which is much like the Earth was, say, 1,500 years ago in terms of its uh, biosystem, its ecosystem, you know, tremendously huge forests, very high oxygen content, no air pollution, a small population of about 500 million people. Um, these people have lived for 50,000 years without any war. There's really no disease. There's no sickness. There's no poverty. There's no money anymore. They don't. Yeah, it's it's, it's totally different. It's an incredible society. Um, we we actually have a person with a question here. Do you want to take a question? Sure, I'll see what happens. Okay. Let's see what we got. 
Hi, you're on the air. Um, do you have a question for Mark? Hi, good evening. Uh, previously in your show, um, by the way, I just want to say, you know, it's a great conversation we're having about the Billy Mayer material. Uh, but previously in the show, um, I believe you were referencing a man named uh, Svath who uh, had visited, well, not as a visitor from uh, outside that uh, Mr. Mayer had encountered uh, back in the 1940s. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and um, there's a piece of the material. Um, I don't know if it's if it's had been spread out worldwide by now, uh, but there was a story that Mr. Mayer had actually uh, made love to this creature, and he actually came inside him deeply. And it wasn't until that the creature had ejaculated within him that he realized he had just been uh, molested by an alien outsider, um, which actually. Oh, he dropped off. Well, isn't that interesting? You know. I I wonder what a, what it is about the Meyer information that brings out people like that. I don't know. Well, thank God it's not you. Um, <laughs> you know, there's been over like 20 attempts on Billy's life. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and and you know, it just why would people try to um, to kill somebody like this? I mean, he's. I mean, you know, if he were famous, famous, if he were influencing millions of people, if he were, I mean, so many people don't know anything about him. And and it just, it, I think that's what gives me the feeling that the material is so much more valid because it is the valid material that people ignore and it's the exploitivity of other material that that suck people in and and you know they follow it around because it is so controversial and and yet this man is preaching peace love and charity <laughs> I know it, but it, it it really inspires a real hatred sometimes in people I, which know, I don't it, understand you know <laughs> but that's the, the way it is it's for one reason or another but it it's it's his body of work that impresses me so much. Um, you don't see him interviewed on. I mean, there was um, there was a documentary done on him quite a while ago um, that I think you can find on YouTube that that goes into his material. Apparently, I, I forget who did it, but I know he actually went to interview him in order to um, expose a fraud. And he ended up being a follower. Wow! Which was, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't find a scam anyplace. He couldn't find anything that was fraudulent. Um, I mean, Billy Meyer is 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 a simple, honest man who, you know, is probably embarrassed by some of the uh, publicity publicity that he gets. Yeah, he he is a very humble man and you know, it's um I'm not sure what it is that seems to trigger people, but there's something about his information that really tr- triggers a lot of of opposition. I'm not well, exactly that, But but Go ahead. but you know, I mean, take a look at what he does. I mean, if if you're not in a place where you're willing to embrace the fact that you're responsible for everything in your life, 
where where you know you're going to take that responsibility and make changes in your life and 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 shift your perspective and your way of life so that you're walking your talk and your talk is peace love and charity i mean if you're not willing to do that your alternative is to go to a religion that takes all the responsibility off of you and you can pray to a god that will forgive you and then then everything's forgiven yeah you know, and if you take that away from people, um, they, they, I would think a lot of them become violent. I mean, I have a very good friend who absolutely insists that there has to be an old man with a white beard that's, you know, taking care of her. <laughs> or an old woman with a white beard, I don't know. But there you she, go. You know, she insists that there is, um, a human entity in spirit shape that is constantly taking care of all of us. And, and you know, I said, well, you know, first of all, I don't think it's human-shaped because if it's a spirit, it has no shape. It has no physicality. It has no physical presence. It is an etheric energy. And and she insists that the, she, she still believes in the pearly gates. So... Um, and, and, you know, Patrick and I had this argument all the time is, is, you know, we'll never know exactly who was right until, you know, every, both of us die. Right. Although, and, and then, and then whoever went first was supposed to come back and tell the other one about, you know, who was right. And I haven't heard from him. So I kind of am saying, you know, I must be right because maybe you're right. Then. <laughs> yeah. He didn't come back to say, I told you so. so. Cause you know, he would have, right? Um, in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, one of one of Billy's um, really good books I was talking about before is called "The Might of Thoughts." Macht um, der Gedanken in the German, and it describes it's it's really 400 pages of how we can learn to control our thoughts, and first of all. It kind of goes like this. He says that good thoughts are of a neutral, positive nature. That means they're not too bent on the positive and not too bent on the negative either. But good thoughts lead to good feelings, and good feelings, feelings are different than emotions. Emotions come rapidly and suddenly where feelings kind of grow slowly and are based on thoughts. So good thoughts lead to good feelings. Good feelings will lead to good habits. And when you start to incorporate good, healthy habits, then you can bring good circumstances into your life. So Uh good, good circumstances. So if you have good thoughts... That'll lead to good feelings. Good feelings lead to good habits. And good habits lead to good circumstances in your life. So one of the things this book always emphasizes is that you're the master of your own destiny. Yeah. And you can be successful in your life. It all comes down to your thinking. And then we have to learn to steer our thoughts. So that they remain neutral, positive, and because those good thoughts lead to good feelings, and good feelings 
lead to the good habits, which lead to good circumstances in your life. He says that our thoughts, our correct thoughts and our correct knowledge is such an incredible power that it will continually bring into being everything that we desire. But those thoughts have to be neutral positive in order to do that. What a lot of times happens in our life, and I know we're starting to run out of time here, but we have unconscious thoughts that spring up and come out. And sometimes they come from the unconscious or the subconscious. And those can also be very powerful. And those thoughts can be based on anxiety, fear, vexation. And those can also lead to circumstances, bad circumstances in your life. So you have to be constantly, continually analyzing your own thoughts to determine if they're a good thought or a negative destructive thought. Because one thing about negative destructive thoughts is they tend to rotate. They tend to recycle over and over and over again in our minds. And they can do a tremendous amount of damage to your psyche. So you have to recognize when that's happening and mm-hmm. try to stop that cycle. Go ahead. No, it, it, no, I, I have allergies, so I clear my throat a lot. But I, I agree with you because it, it sort of, and, and you, you can catch yourself. You can go, oh, crap, that's not where I want to go. And exactly. you, you know, here I am again. <laughs> but but it it is a, it's a process of of you know embracing the fact that that wonderful things could come into your life if you just get out of your own way. Oh boy, that's such a good way to put it. And he he describes the consciousness like a garden, and we need to take out those weeds out of our gardens when those negative thoughts spring up and you break, you know, reach in there and yank them up by the roots so that they don't proliferate over your whole consciousness. Well, you know, there are times where I'll, I'll, I'll have a waking dream and I, I don't like the way it ended and I will often go back to bed and rewrite it. Just Good for you. Yeah. That's very good, and, and also, I think meditation in my mouth. <laughs> right, and, and meditation, learning to control your thoughts, learning to one of the hardest things to do is to clear your mind so you're not thinking anything. And there are times when we need to do that. Just That's I mean, true. if you have a fireplace, stare at a fireplace. If you have a candle, stare at a candle. Clear that right. mind. And, and I think it's important for for everybody to know that that there everybody has their own their own way of meditating. Not everybody can can sit and hum home and and meditate. Sometimes I, I garden or I do knitting or needlepoint. So so meditating is clearing your mind so you're not thinking. And so many people get get into a position 
and they get to a place where they feel floaty and they think, am I meditating? And because they're thinking, they've pulled themselves down into physical again. So everybody has their own way of So it's important that, that people understand that, that it can be really weird. But so well, long I, as you, you know, can put yourself in, into that silence, it works. That's a neat way to do it. I like the way what you said about the knitting. That's that's a very good way to. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, oh, it it's it's mindless. When you do something that is mindless that you're comfortable with, you're meditating because you're not thinking about anything. You're just watching a pattern, a routine, and 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 it 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 relaxes you tremendously. Oh. And that's one of the thinking skills or the non-thinking skills. It's learning to control your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And that is so important to learn yeah, to do Mark, that. Yeah, Mark, we're out of time. I know. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for being here tonight. I always have so much fun talking to you about my about Billy Meyer and stuff. Well, my pleasure, and I hope we don't wait so long to do it again next time. No, we won't. But I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be over at Freedom Slips. So, but I'm gonna hold on to Blog Talk too. So, um, you know, we'll we'll do them both. But yeah, let's 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 try not to wait so long next time because you are a font of great material, and and I always love listening to you because it always triggers something else that kind of is is synchronistic but not totally on topic. So. I appreciate you letting me roam all over the place here. My pleasure, Barbara, anytime. Okay. Thanks, Mark, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a good evening. You too. Good night now. Bye-bye. And thank you, everybody, for um, being here, sticking sticking here with us. Hope you learned a lot. I know I did. And um, I will um, watch favorite favorite show, and you'll find me whenever next I come on. I am going to be moving over to Freedom Slips Radio as well. So um, if you need that information, it'll be up on uh, my Facebook page, and I'll be talking about it the next show I do as well. So good night. Have a great one. Stay warm and uh, stay safe. Good night now. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.